If you turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, we're going through uh, the book of Romans. We're going to be looking at the first 17 verses uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you love us to the point where you sent your son so that we could be your adopted sons and daughters. And so many times we live in a place of condemnation and shame instead of your love and your approval. And we're asking for a move of your Holy Spirit this morning. That we could go deeper into the knowledge of your love. That we would know the height and the depth and the width of your love. God, you know each of us. You know what we're going through, our joys and our struggles. And would you meet us this morning through the power of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Adoption is beautiful, it's powerful, it's wonderful. I've watched adoption take place with families in our church and so much prayer, so much effort goes into that moment of being able to adopt. I know it personally in our own family, my little sister, she is adopted. It's my brother and I and my sister's about nine years younger. We adopted her from the state of Oregon when she was about two and a half years old. I was at the very ornery age of 13. Uh, And I was at a place where I was telling my parents, you know, I don't know why you're adopting and I'm never going to be on board uh, with this and said a lot of hurtful things. I wasn't walking uh, with the Lord. My parents were very steadfast in the process. It it took a long time for the adoption to uh, take place. But when I met my little sister, she comes walking through the door Blonde hair, blue eyes. I was melted. I was done. She, she won out and I was like, man, she is so cool. You know, just had so much uh, fun uh, with her and so thankful that she is a part of, of our family. With adoption, there's choice. My parents chose to adopt Heidi. They looked through lots of folders with lots of different kids, lots of time of prayer. When my brother and I were born, mom and dad had some fun and we came out right? Like that's, that's pretty much how that worked. It's like, all right, this, this is what we got, but you know, let's, let's name him Eric. Let's name him Matt. And in the scriptures, what we're going to study uh, this morning is that God adopted us to be his sons and daughters, that we have the spirit of adoption. So we're not in a place of condemnation, but we're in a place of God's love. I want you to hear me on this, is the approval and the affection that comes from adoption trumps condemnation. So knowing that I'm the child of God, knowing that he has adopted me, that he's my father, trumps this voice of of condemnation. If you remember last week, Paul opened up in chapter 7 about his own struggle with sin, the conflict of sanctification, that the things that he doesn't want to do, he ends up doing, The things that he wants to do, he doesn't follow through with. Who can deliver him from the body of death? Remember the difference between the how and the who, so important. So many times we focus on the how, but it's a who. The one who delivers us is Christ. Paul then continues this thought in chapter 8 and focuses on our position in Christ and also the reality of the Holy Spirit inside of our lives, giving us victory over sin. So join me in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As adopted sons and daughters of God, the Spirit of adoption, we've received new life. 
There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Context is so important when we're studying the scriptures. It'd be one thing to write this when everything's going right in our relationship with the Lord, but Paul writes it when everything's going wrong, when he is struggling with sin, when he's not following through, and he realizes there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation is this disapproval from God, this judgment, this guilt, this shame that's placed. And the reality is, is because of our position in Christ, we're in Christ as believers, there's no condemnation. There's no guilt. There's no shame. However, the enemy works overtime to try to get us to walk and live in condemnation. In Revelation 12, Satan's called the accuser of the brethren. And he accuses the brethren day and night. But we're told they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. It's the blood of Jesus by holding on to the blood of Jesus. Is there a sin in your life from this week, from 10 years ago, where you tend to live in a place of condemnation? God wants to lift that off of you this morning. He wants us in faith to lay hold of his word. This is a verse that we should underline. This is a verse that we should memorize. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Times when we need to preach to our own soul. The psalmist would speak to his soul. Say, soul, bless the Lord. Soul, you're not condemned. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't want to burst your bubble, but I kind of want to. And this is why. When we're in a place, when we're not receiving the forgiveness of God, we're actually elevating our sin over the sacrifice of Christ. It's unbelief. We're going, my sin is greater than God's ability to forgive. When we receive the forgiveness of God, when we walk in the forgiveness that he has given to us, we're putting our roots, our anchor into the sacrifice of Christ, we're believing that the blood of Jesus is actually greater than our sin. And we know that up here, but it's allowing it to sink into our hearts, walking in that forgiveness, that I am absolutely forgiven by the Lord. When that weight of sin is lifted off of our hearts, when we can, in faith, put our hearts in this place of trusting what Christ has done to know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As we'll see as we go through this study, this is tied to the beauty that we're adopted sons and daughters of God. We're God's children. And as God's children in this position of Christ, there's no condemnation. The second half of this verse who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. This is not a condition that's tied to no condemnation. It's not, well, as long as you're walking in the Spirit, there's no condemnation. But this is a result of what the gospel has done in our lives, as now we're alive in the Spirit. The flesh is not what rules and reigns in our lives, which is our our sin, but it's God's Spirit that rules and reigns in our lives. And this sets up the theme for these verses of the reality of the Spirit. What does it mean to walk according to the Spirit, to live according to the Spirit? Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We're set free. The law of the Spirit of the life in Christ has made me free. Absolute 
liberation from the law of sin and death. Chapter 7, Paul really went in-depth, into detail of what the law does in our lives. It brings death. It brings us to a place of showing us our need for Christ. But the Spirit of God does way more than the law ever could, especially in this regard to having freedom from sin. How can we overcome these struggles of sin that we tend to give into over and over again, like the Apostle Paul? Well, it's the law of the Spirit. In the Old Testament, God spoke of the new covenant in Jeremiah 31 and Ezekiel chapter 36. And of the new covenant, he said, I'm going to put my spirit within you and I'm going to write my commands upon your heart. As the believer, as a child of God in the new covenant, we have the spirit of God living inside of us. The moment that you trusted Christ for salvation, the Holy Spirit came inside of you. And you might be saying, Eric, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't really know or understand what the Holy Spirit is, and it sounds kind of creepy. Are we talking about a ghost here, or what are we talking about? Well, the Holy Spirit is a member of the Trinity. We have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three distinct persons, but yet one God. Very clearly, one God. And the Holy Spirit is described to us by Jesus as our helper, our comforter, our teacher. Who doesn't need a comforter? Who doesn't need a helper? Who doesn't need a teacher? But yet we tend to be very nervous about the work of the Spirit in our lives. If we really surrender to the Holy Spirit, are we going to start barking like dogs uncontrollably? Are we going to start laughing and we aren't able to control this laughter? Well, wait a second. I, I thought the fruit of the Spirit was, was self-control. If the Spirit of God's moving in your life, you're not going to do something weird or wacky or out of control. We know that the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus. So as we yield to the Holy Spirit, we're going to fall in love with Jesus more. We're going to glorify Christ more. And the Christian life is really found by allowing the Spirit of God to lead us in walking, yielding to the Holy Spirit. And this promise of the Spirit is He's going to write things on our hearts. The old law was written on tablets of stone, wasn't it? But now God's writing on hearts. It's inward instead of outward. Such a huge difference when God writes something on your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how does that happen? You're reading the word, and all of a sudden, there's a scripture that pops out. And the Holy Spirit's saying, that's for you. You're listening to a teaching like this or a podcast, and all of a sudden, boom, that's the truth that the Lord has. Ever been in those moments where all of a sudden the Holy Spirit is putting on your heart, keep your mouth shut, right? Shut your trap. Where did that come from? That's the Holy Spirit. Ever had the Holy Spirit put someone on your heart to go see how your neighbor's doing? Or to call a family member or to text. That, that's the Holy Spirit. To, to reach out to that coworker that's three cubicles down. This is where the Christian life is, is so exciting. Is when we see the law of the Spirit that leads to freedom. The book of Acts is all about the Spirit of God moving amongst the church. Amongst uh, believers. In verse 3. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. What could the law not accomplish? Couldn't accomplish salvation. 
couldn't bring us into right standing with God. So God sent his son. And his son came in the likeness of sinful flesh. Not that Jesus was sinful. He was the perfect sacrifice for our our sins. He never sinned. But he came in human flesh. This is how much God loves us in order for us to not be condemned. In order for us to be forgiven. For us to be the adopted sons and daughters of God. Where we can wear his love instead of wearing our guilt and shame. No longer have this label of condemnation. I love the end of verse 3. Let's think about this for a second. He condemned sin in the flesh. Jesus brought a damnatory sentence on sin by his sacrifice upon the cross. So I'm not condemned because Jesus took the condemnation for my sin upon the cross. It's not that my sin did not deserve condemnation. But the reality of it is, is Jesus took the condemnation so that I could have forgiveness. Man, you could meditate on verse 3 for a long time, couldn't you? We could just camp there this morning, the depths of Christ's sacrifice, that he would go to the the cross for us. In verse 4, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. As we trust Christ for salvation, the righteous requirement of the law is met in our lives, who walk according to the Spirit instead of according to the flesh. Before we knew Christ our Savior, or if you haven't trusted Christ for salvation yet, our sinful flesh rules the day. Our our sinful flesh dominates. There's not necessarily a a wrestling uh, with sin. Our selfishness, we're going to follow our selfishness. But as soon as we trusted Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God trumps. The Spirit of God has authority in our lives that hopefully we're yielding to uh, the Spirit. We're yielding to His power that's, that's working in us. Zechariah 4, 6 does say, it's not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, uh, says the Lord. So we're relying upon the Spirit of God, uh, allowing the Spirit of God to equip us. In this new life, we have a new mindset, a new way of thinking. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5 and also Colossians chapter 3 give us a long list of what the works of the flesh are. It's what you would imagine. It's, It's all things sinful. Also defines what the work of the Spirit is. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. As adopted sons and daughters of God, with the Spirit of God living inside of us, we now set our minds on things of the Spirit instead of things upon the flesh. Why is the mind so important? Because thoughts lead to actions. That's what the Bible teaches us. Eventually, our thoughts are going to become actions. We tend to think, well, it's just my thoughts. I'm not hurting anyone. What, what's wrong if I set my mind on the things of the flesh? Well, well eventually, thoughts become actions. Adultery doesn't just take place overnight. You know, anger doesn't just boil over. It's been thought about in, in our hearts. So thoughts do become actions, and then actions lead to character. Eventually, our actions 
define our character, and character leads to, to consequences. Well, where did that all begin? It began with our thoughts. So we set our minds on things of the Spirit. We, we set our minds on the, the things of the Word of God. Man, this is where the real battle is, isn't it? There's just some days where it's stinking thinking, isn't it? Where our minds aren't right. Where our minds are on the, the things of the flesh. To start our day in God's word. To start our day in, in prayer. Asking for the help of, of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Carnally minded is fleshly minded. To be th- meditating and thinking upon things of sin, it leads to death. But to put our minds on spiritual things, the things of Christ, upon others, upon serving what God is doing, well, that leads to life and it leads to peace. Life is so short, isn't it? We only got so many times around the track, so many days that we get to to live. I don't want to waste my days in a place of being carnally minded that leads to death, the more days where I can be spiritually minded and it leads to life and peace, we oftentimes think our circumstances is what defines life and peace. Well, if these things are going well in my life, then I have peace. But it's where our mind's at. Sometimes you can be in very difficult circumstances, but have your mind on the Lord and be in fellowship with the Lord and be walking in life, to be walking in peace. Verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can it be. There is a battle here also with the Lord. When my mind is in that place of focusing on the flesh and focusing on sin, my mind is actually opposing the Lord. The word enmity is hostility. It's hostile, hostile towards the Lord. It's offensive to the Lord. He, he opposes that kind of, of mindset. Verse 8, So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If in this place of being fleshly minded and following after sin, I can't please God in, in that place. Verse 9, But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. This is a, a new master. So, we have a new mindset, we have a new life, but we also have a, a new master. You're, you're not in the flesh, you're in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. This is the important question, does the spirit of God dwell in you? Well, how do you know? If you believe the gospel that Jesus died for your sins and rose again, repenting of sin, turning away from sin, asking him to be the Lord of your life, the promise of God is that the spirit of God lives inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. In verse 10, or continuing in verse 9, Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, he is not his. The Spirit is evidence of the fact that we belong to God. No Spirit, no salvation. The Spirit is the mark that God has saved us. If you go to buy a house, you put down earnest money. And God calls the Holy Spirit the earnest in our lives, the down payment that's the evidence that we're the children of God. In verse 10, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, 
but the Spirit is life because of Christ. Let's meditate on this a little bit. Let's try to work our way through this a little bit. So the Holy Spirit is in you, but also Christ is in you as a believer. What a gift this is under the new covenant of God's grace. In the Old Testament, they had the law, but they didn't have the Spirit of God living inside of them. Christ was not living inside of them. We don't have to come up with the the power on our own. Christ is living inside of you. And because Christ is inside of you, the body is dead because of sin. Or another way to think of this is we're dead to sin. As a believer, with God's Spirit living inside of us, we're not going to be comfortable inside of sin. We're going to be convicted. Because Christ is there to love us, to correct us, to challenge us. Go in this direction of sin walking in rebellion to the Lord and God's Spirit saying, no, I've got something else for you. I've got something that's so much better. And that's actually evidence to the fact that you're the child of God, that we're going to be convicted in sin, that we're not going to be comfortable in sin. And God's correction is affirmation of his love for us. That may be the place that you're in this morning. And don't be discouraged. God loves you enough to discipline you. He loves you enough to say, look, you're not going to be comfortable in that place. As a believer, we're not going to be comfortable in a lifestyle of drunkenness. God's going to be there to convict us. You're not going to be comfortable in a lifestyle of pornography. God's going to be there to convict you. We're not going to be comfortable in a lifestyle of anger. God's going to be there to to convict us. That's the reality of being dead to sin But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. So God's Spirit is bringing life uh, to us. Verse 11 is another just incredible promise of God. One to know, to put into our hearts. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives inside of you. We serve a God of the resurrection. Did you know that? He brings life to dead things. And there may be areas of our walk with God that is dead. Well, the spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you, and he's able to bring life to your mortal body. There may be aspects of your marriage that are dead, that feel hopeless. Well, guess what? We serve the God of the resurrection that's able to bring life into dead things. When two people surrender themselves to Christ, get their attention off their spouse, get their attention upon the Lord, God's God's able to do it. As Paul is wrestling with his own sin and his failure in sin, he lands that there's no condemnation in Christ and there is power through the Holy Spirit to give life to his mortal body. I think that many times we try to have victory over sin apart from the Holy Spirit. If you're dating and struggling with sexual sin. You know what God's word teaches, that sex is for marriage, but find yourself in compromise. Invite the Holy Spirit into that struggle. You're headed out on a date, pray together. 
Say, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you help us to honor you in our time together? We don't have the strength to be able to do this. Would you give us the strength that only you can provide? And the Holy Spirit's going to provide some conviction. It's going to be very helpful in the midst of this. Dude, it's time to drop her off, right? It's time for you to, to go home. If the struggle, the wrestle is pornography, well, where does pornography come into our lives? Online. That's what happens on the internet. So before you get on the internet, instead of just trying to conquer that on your own, go to the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you help me to glorify you and my time on the internet? That makes it a lot more difficult to go search for pornography. You're asking the Holy Spirit to come into that struggle of, Lord, would, would you help me? Maybe it's, it's anger. Lord, I'm always losing my temper. Holy Spirit, would you help me with my anger today? Would you give me guidance and would you give me wisdom? The same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead lives in you to give life to your mortal body as we trust and we rely upon the Holy Spirit. But instead, what do we do? Oh, I got this, right? I know what God's Word says. I can walk in, in His Word. It's important to... Be convicted. It's important to walk in obedience. But as we take that step of obedience is, God, I'm relying on your power and upon your strength. When victory comes, then who gets the glory? The Lord gets the glory. We're not writing books and making social media posts of, hey, do this and you're going to have victory over sin. We're going, man, God was so gracious. He helped me through this through the power of the Spirit. I was relying upon the Spirit. The Spirit of God can do way more than we can do in our own strength. Maybe the difficulty is loving your spouse. You're like, God, you really gave me a knucklehead. You, you really gave me a difficult person to, to love here. You're calling me to, to love them. Rely upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can give you love that you don't have in and of yourself. In verse 12 Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We're not in debt to the flesh. We're indebted to the Spirit in a good way. God has won our hearts by His grace, and we want to follow Him. We want to yield to this new master. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you will put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So if we're living According to our sinful nature, allowing our selfishness to have its way, it's going to produce death. That's the consequence of sin in our lives. But the Spirit, the Spirit's going to put to death the deeds of the body and will live. If we're relying upon the Spirit, the Spirit's going to help us to be able to walk in victory. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So if we're led... By God's Spirit, it's an evidence that we're his, his children. How are these 17 verses tied together? We've been adopted as the sons and daughters of God. Because we're adopted, we're no longer in a place of condemnation. Because we're God's children, he's granted to us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in charge of our lives. The Holy Spirit is leading us. We're wanting to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit and that's evidence that we're his children. Unbelievers don't have the Spirit of God living inside of them, do they? 
Before we knew Christ our Savior, we didn't have the Spirit of God living inside of us. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit that we had prior to salvation, prior to being adopted, our relationship with God under the law was one of bondage and of fear. That's what the law does. It brings us under bondage. We're under the requirement of the law. And we're always in this place of fear. I, I have a heart for people that are caught up in false religions because they're works-based and they never know if they have done enough. If you talk to someone that doesn't know Christ, the Christ of the Bible, and they're into a false religion that teaches a false Jesus, and you ask them, when you die, do you know if you're going to go home to be with the Lord? They have a hard time answering that question because it's based upon their works, and when have you done enough? I mean, that's fear, right? And perfect love casts out all fear, First John tells us. We're not in this place of having a relationship with God that's based on bondage and fear. That's freeing. Jesus said, you'll know that you have everlasting life. It's been granted to us by his grace. We've been born again. We're the adopted sons and daughters of God. And here, the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. This is a new identity, a new identity that's been granted to us as we're the sons and daughters of God and so close in our relationship with God that we get to call him Dad. We get to call him Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is taking us deeper into this revelation that God is our Father and we're his adopted children where we get to cry out, Daddy. I think that this is one of the most important truths for us to understand about God is that he's our father. In the Old Testament, if you study the prayers of the Israelites, they did not address God as father. They addressed him as Lord. Adonai, Yahweh, the one who's all-powerful and holy, and, and God is absolutely that. But they did not see and relate to God as their father. Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. They witnessed the prayer life of Jesus and they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Of all of the things they could have asked to learn, wasn't how do we give sermons? How do we do miracles? Teach us to pray. Jesus said, our father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. This would be mind blowing to the disciples because this is not how they had been taught to pray. This is a new relationship with God that Jesus is bringing them into through the new covenant where they get to address God as Father. Jesus rises from the dead. First person to see him in his resurrected state, Mary Magdalene. She's wanting to hold on tight to Jesus and Jesus looks at her and says, I'm going to ascend to my Father and your Father. And you can almost miss it. My God and your God. My Father and your Father. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father through the gospel, he has now brought us into that same relationship 
That's the purpose of Christ. That was the mission of Christ so that we could be saved, we could be adopted, we could be the sons and daughters of God. What if God, through Christ's work, just forgave us of our sins and gave us everlasting life? That'd be more than enough, wouldn't it? But he's gone way beyond that. Not just providing forgiveness, but bringing us in to this close relationship of God being our father. God has designed family to ultimately point to his love for us. For those of you that are parents, he gives us children for us to understand in a greater way that he is our father. But this is also where it gets complicated because we make the mistake of thinking that our human father represents our heavenly father. No human father can represent our heavenly father, even if you've got an amazing dad. I have an amazing dad, godly father. But he's flawed and sinful. My heavenly father is not flawed and not sinful. So please don't see your heavenly father through the lens of your earthly father. I hope that my kids can see past my mistakes and experience the loveless perfection of their heavenly father. No one can love you like your heavenly father. And the spirit of God is inside of you this morning saying, cry out to your father as dad, daddy, Abba. If you were to call out to God as daddy, would it feel strange? Would it just feel so foreign, like coming out of your mouth? Is it a lot easier for you to pray, Lord and God, but to address him as Dad, is it that close? Could you do that this morning? That's where God wants to to take you. One of the ways that I think that he does this is actually surprising through suffering. Suffering, if we allow it to, brings us into a greater revelation that God is our Father. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, write it down and read it later. There's this amazing promise that says that God comforts us in all of our tribulation. And this is how he does it. He's the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. The father of mercy and the God of all comfort. The comfort that he provides is in this relationship of us being his children and him being our dad. We have a father of mercy, of unending love, unchanging love. When you picture God, how do you picture him? Do you picture him as a kind, patient, loving, unconditional father? Or do you picture him as an angry dad that's just waiting to bring the hammer, waiting to bring judgment down on your your life? He's the father of mercy and the God of all comfort. For me in my life, it's really been more of the difficulties of the last two years. The last two years have been a challenging season uh, for me. And it's taken me deeper into the understanding that God is my father. And I know I'm not there yet. But prior, if I look back like 10 years in my life, it had been very strange to call God father, daddy. If I were to pray in, in that way, it wouldn't feel natural. And it's feeling more natural for me to address God as my dad, to to cry out to him as daddy. Well, how did that happen? 
Well, it's happening through pain. It's happening through difficulty. It's happening through, through challenge. And I got to tell you, there is nothing like the Father's love. There's nothing like it. All of eternity is going to be enjoying this relationship with him being our, our heavenly Father. The spirit of adoption moves in us to where we cry out, Abba, Father. Verse 16 the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. So the Holy Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you're the child of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. We are joint heirs with Christ. As adopted children of God, we're brought into the inheritance of Christ. That's the truth of adoption, right? If you, you adopt a child, you don't go, oh, well, you're not in our will, right? You're, you're adopted. You've got our last name, but you're not part of the, the inheritance. You're a jerk if you do that, right? Like, what in the world were you doing adopting if, if that's if your, your approach? Of course, if, if you adopt, man, you're in the family, and in the family, you're, you're in the inheritance. And we're in the inheritance of Christ. Christ has allowed us to be joint heirs with him in his inheritance. That, that's far out. This will bring us into next week. We suffer with him that we also may be glorified together. We're brought into his inheritance, but we're also brought into his suffering. A few questions for you, and then I'll let you go, I promise. What label am I wearing? You're wearing a label. You're wearing a t-shirt. You're going through your life, and is it forgiven or condemned? What label am I wearing? Am I living according to the Spirit? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide? Am I crying out for help of the Holy Spirit? Am I living according to the Spirit? And what am I setting my mind upon? It's, it's pretty wild. Like, we're all thinking through this message during our time together. Like, I can give a sermon and think about other things. What if you saw my thoughts in my head, the bubble thoughts? I'd really like to see all your thoughts, you know? <laughs> As this message is going on, it's like, man, I didn't have breakfast this morning, or I'd like a, another cup of coffee here. But what are we thinking about? Are we setting our mind on the things of the Spirit? And then, am I living in a spirit of bondage or a spirit of adoption? Am I living in a spirit of bondage and fear or a spirit of adoption that I know that I'm the child of God? So if you have trusted Christ for salvation, I hope this morning that you know and understand that you are God's child, that there's no condemnation. If you haven't made that decision to trust Christ for salvation, in a moment we're going to stand and enter into worship, and you've got an opportunity to trust Christ, to ask him to save you. It's not complicated, but it is absolutely powerful to acknowledge our sin, to turn away from sin. Sin is disobedience to God. It's even when we try to do right and fall short turning away from sin, but believing that Jesus died for our sins and that he rose again, asking him to be the Lord of our life, receiving that free gift. 
If you'd like to make that decision, we'll be available here in the front to pray with you. Also online, you can indicate that decision in the chats and the comments, and there's a team that's ready to respond. But so important, your eternity determines whether you trust Christ for salvation, but why would you not want to enter into this love? Why would you not want to be adopted by the creator of the universe, the lover of your soul? Would you stand with me and let's pray together. Father, Dad, we're so thankful for your love for us. So thankful that we could be your adopted sons, your adopted daughters. What a privilege. We do pray that you would take us deeper into the knowledge that you're our dad, that you're the father of mercy, that you're the God of all comfort. We do acknowledge right now that we cannot have victory over sin apart from the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you convict us? Would you guide us? Show us that path forward of of victory. Thank you that you live inside of us. Thank you for our time together. May your word bear fruit uh, in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.